So most of you know, that do know me, if you don't know me, well, you won't know this. Um, but those that know me, I'm a bit of a sports person. I love, love my sport. I coach uh, AFL. Obviously, Cam doesn't like AFL. He told me that last week in his message. But I love AFL. Um, and I'm really fascinated with uh, successful athletes and teams. And I think a lot of us are. I think, you know, when you see a, a good story and you really want to know what's happened and um, yeah, so I think we, we often love seeing success and um, I think we sometimes, you know, we want to replicate that success, you know, we want to find the special formula, why did this team, you know, and I, I know businesses, um, churches, I think churches often are looking at other churches and, you know, a great example is probably something like Hillsong, you know, when Hillsong took, you know, became very successful, um, bringing people to Christ, a lot of churches were trying to replicate what Hillsong were doing. And, and I, I, I am fascinated by what they do. And, um, I, I, but I think sometimes we focus on the wrong things. We're focusing on the outcomes. We're focusing on the numbers. We're focusing on the methods instead of focusing on who we are and who we are in Christ uh, and, and keeping to our grace lane. And, you know, there's something though, when I do research all these successful things, I still think we can learn from them. Um, but the, the common thing that I find with successful teams and successful individuals, which I don't think people like this, but often what links them all together is how disciplined and hardworking they are. That's what often is the link. And I, I remember when I, was, uh, when, when I was playing sport professionally, uh, th- what they said to me was, talent will only get you so far. It's the hard work that you're willing to put in that's going to take you further. Uh, and don't get me wrong, talent is, does get us somewhere. There's some of us in this room, you can work as hard as you want and you'll never get there because you don't have the talent. So there is talent that does help us get to certain things. Um, but it's often the hard work that's really going to make us succeed. And I'll give you an example. And I'm not a massive basketball fan, but again, I love sport. And, and a guy that I really admire... And he actually just passed away not long ago and a helicopter crash was Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant, when I did some research in him, after obviously, you know, hearing about his success, he's a five-time NBA champion, 18-time NBA All-Star. That's crazy. Um, He's been an NBA All-Star MVP, multiple NBA final uh, MVP, and the list goes on. Um, And this man, obviously a legend of the basketball game, um, and so obviously people go, wow, he's successful. Well, I did a bit of research and he talks about this on what he used to do to become successful. Uh, this just blew my mind, the amount of hard working he put in. So he would, this is what he did. He would get up 4 a.m. in the morning and shoot hoops for an hour or two. This is on a day of practice, so the team would practice. He would have breakfast at 6 a.m., then he'd go and do some sprint coaching with his coach for another hour or two. Then he'd go back, have another rest, and then he would spend another two hours with his team. This wasn't guided by the team. He's done this out of his own. He would have lunch. He would do another session, shooting hoops again. Then he would do a gym session with his team. Now, and his whole motto was that I have to do more. So even if you know, he was practicing hoops. He, he, there's a story of him with an opposition team and they were out practicing and he was practicing and he just would spend hours before a game and he, he wouldn't leave until they left. He always wanted to be the last one to leave the show. I'm always going to do more than you. 
And so, and he actually says this, and I love his quote. He says, I have nothing in common with lazy people who blame others for their lack of success. Great things come from hard work and perseverance, no excuses. Now, you're wondering, why am I talking about this? How does this relate? Well, I'm not saying that now we all should start exercising more and go and, and train together. No, what I was saying is that most of these athletes uh, are willing to work behind doors, even though they won't, you know, people don't notice it. They're willing to do that extra work that others aren't. They're, they're willing to go that extra mile. And I think it's something that we kind of ignore as Christians. Uh, you know, who wants to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning every morning, you know, and do those things? Um, but the reason why these athletes were so successful, they are disciplined. They weren't just given and handed to on a platter for them. They had to work for it. And something I've learned with God, He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism. Romans 2 verse 11, For God does not show favoritism. And I know some of us know this, but subconsciously the way we act and talk, we think God has His favorites. Even though maybe we don't truly believe that, but the way we act and talk, we think that way. But the Word tells us that we all have God's favor. We all get to respond to the gospel. We all are His sons and daughters. We all have access to the Spirit. We all have access to God's part. Now, all of us, that may look different how we do that, but we all have a part in the kingdom of God. And some of these things that you do will be big things and some of these will be little things. But they are important and they're going to have an impact and they're important to God. And, but remember, this is not about making ourselves known. It's about making God known. So how? How do we make God known? Where does it start? It starts with Him. It starts with being in communion with Him one with him so that we don't just do big things but through his communion with God we can do the impossible because God lives in us and he is the God of the impossible and I think we limit God's power in our lives John 14 11 to 14 says believe me when I say that I am in the father and the father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What Jesus is saying that we can do greater things than he can do. There are things that Jesus, and that, that just blows in my mind to think that we could do what Jesus did. Jesus did some pretty amazing things, impossible things. But we underestimate God. And so he wants, to, he wants to show his power through us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and he wants to show our power and he wants us to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. He wants us to love our enemy. This is impossible for the world, but for Christians with God, we can do that. He wants us to forgive those that offend us. He wants us to walk like Christ, talk like Christ, live like Christ, lead like Christ. 
And where does it all start? It starts with us and God. God gives us all the seed. Everyone in here has a seed, has the Holy Spirit. But how can we nurture that seed to turn into a tree which turns into a forest? How can we nurture that spark that turns into a flame which turns into a fire? Yongi Cho, who led the biggest church in the world in Korea, has a book called Prayer, A Key to Revival. And so his ministry is based on this, that God shows no favoritism. He said, show me a person of faith and I'll show you their prayer life. He also said, God has never chosen perfect people to accomplish his perfect will. And he says, this is obvious in his choice of Jacob and King David. This is also obvious with me. I think we all can see this playing out as we look around this church as well. That God is using people that you wouldn't expect. Reinhard Bonnke, a famous evangelist who brought millions to Christ in Africa, said to God, why me? Why do you want me to go to Africa? God told him I had asked 27 others before you and they said no. God has called all of us. No person and no circumstance can pull us away from God's will. It's only us that pulls ourselves away from God's will. So where does it all start? First of all, it starts with being connected in the vine. It starts with being connected in the vine. John 15, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is for my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how do we make sure that we stay connected into the vine? Now there's... The vine that they're talking about, he's a grapevine that Jesus is talking about. And it was quite common for grapevines to actually be on the, on the ground. And so these grapevines, and they'll be hundreds of years old, these grapevines, and they'll grow on the ground. But the Romans were the first to introduce a trellis. I'll just, I'll just put up a photo of the trellis, if we have it there. Romans were actually the first to bring in a trellis. Now the reason why they put in a trellis... It's because what would often happen, the, the vines would get diseased by being on the ground. And animals would come and scourge it. So these trellises lifted off the ground so they can be more fruitful. And so I love this idea and, and what I want to talk into. I believe that spiritual disciplines is like the trellis in our life. It helps us can keep connected in the vine. What are spiritual disciplines? 
And this is a series that we're going to look into the next few weeks. What are spiritual disciplines? Well, spiritual disciplines are things like praying, reading the word, fasting, hospitality, serving, etc. Paul tells Timothy to discipline himself. He says, 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, I know there can be bad connotations with people around the word discipline. Uh, and maybe you're picturing more punishment or even discipline from another. No, I'm, I'm referring to today's self-discipline. And the word discipline I'm using means doing things you know you should do even when you don't want to. Another way to explain spiritual discipline for those that don't like that word is maybe a better one is instruments of grace. Instruments of grace. Spiritual disciplines are things that allow us to walk in the grace of God, bringing us closer in relationship to Him. You know, there's this idea that spiritual disciplines are very legalistic, but this is not always the case. It really depends what your motivation is behind the spiritual disciplines. And it's something I want to talk into today. You know, the practice of praying, reading the Word or fasting is an activity. And it depends on our motivation behind why we do these things as to whether they are being legalistic or not. You know, do you ever, do you ever look at people running down the road? Maybe it's just me. I just sometimes just sit there and see this person running down the road. I always wonder and go, why are they running? What is their motivation behind running? Where does this attitude come from? I think, you know, for some, you can see them, and I've seen people that are just passionate about running, and they have this a positive attitude towards their running. You know, maybe they're training to compete in a marathon, and they want to be faster, and, you know, they love marathons. My brother-in-law loves marathons. I, I don't get it. I, I don't, wouldn't, couldn't think anything worse to train for a marathon, but he loves it. He loves it, and he wants to get faster, and he's got this great attitude around training, or maybe it's something as simple as you run because you want to be able to play with your kids and be more flexible or be able to do things. And, and that's a positive attitude. Whereas I think there are others that are running and they're doing it in a negative attitude. And that negative attitude is, I'm fat, so I should run. That's a negative attitude. That's not the attitude that we should have. The attitude should be, Man, if I'm fit, I can do all these things. I'm more flexible. I can work around. Not going from the negative attitude, I'm, I'm fat, I'm fat, I'm fat. I mean, you'll never get far. You won't, you won't run. I'm telling you now, if you get in that negative attitude, one or two runs and you're gone. It's hard to stay positive with that attitude. So what is your attitude with spiritual disciplines? Because your attitude will determine if it's legalistic. The religious leaders practice spiritual disciplines. And this is what Jesus said to these religious leaders. He said to them, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray and standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. 
for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. The Pharisees fasted, they prayed, they gave money, but it wasn't the activity that was the issue. It was the heart. It was their attitude. We need to be rightly motivated so we can become like Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are practices. And the goal of practicing is not about doing. It's about being. It's about becoming like Christ. And that's what a son and daughter does. The attitude is a one wanting to know the Father and to know the Father's heart. This is the difference between a legalist like the religious leaders versus a son or daughter of God. So how do we start this instrument of grace? How do we do this to bring us closer to the Father? It starts with our attitude, which starts with our why. Romans 15 verse 5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Our why for spiritual disciplines should be to get to know the Father's heart, to be closer in relationship. I think we have this idea that we can know God's heart without doing anything. Imagine if I said to Rachel, my wife, I already know you, so we don't need to do anything. (laughs) I think we all know to have a better relationship with our spouse or our friend, we have to take time to sit down and listen. Be generous towards each other. To be thankful. And this is how our relationship grows stronger. And and as you grow stronger, you, you, you enjoy spending time with them. And I guess, do you believe that's the same with the Heavenly Father? It's one thing knowing about someone compared to actually knowing them. You know, ever since the beginning of the, uh, ever since the beginning, our Father God has always wanted to be in relationship with us. He has always wanted to walk with us, whether it's in the Garden of Eden, whether it's through the burning bush with Moses, whether it's through the temple, whether it's through Jesus and now the Holy Spirit. It's only sin that has separated us, but through Christ, we now can be in communion. We are one with Christ. We are one with God. And so we have this idea, and some of us still act this way, that we're, we're happy going to Moses. We're happy going to our podcasts. We're happy to hear from a preacher. You're happy to hear from me. But you know what the great thing is? That we can go up the mountain. That we can go and talk to God. That we can go and listen. We have the same access. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? And maybe you're asking this question, but what if I feel like I'm forcing it? You know, I'm doing these spiritual disciplines. You know, I'm up every morning. I'm reading the Word, praying. It just just feels like an effort. I've, I've been there myself as well. And I'm personally, I struggle to get up in the mornings. And pray. I'm not a morning person. But I want to encourage you that sometimes, again, talking about the why, it's okay to feel forced at times. 
don't underestimate that relationship that you're doing. You know, and, and sometimes it feels forced because maybe you've been distant from the Father. Maybe you, you haven't communicated with Him for, for a long time. You know, for like any relationship with your friends, it feels like it's been forced when you haven't caught up with them for a long time. But it's only when we actually spend that time with them that we get to build that relationship again. And that's what it can feel like with God. God's always been there, but we've distanced ourselves from Him. Same as the marriage. There are marriages that aren't communicating and they have to go and do dates and they have to go and do, spend time to listen to each other to build that relationship again. And so that's what can it feel like with God, that it does feel like an effort to start with because we haven't been communicating with Him for a long time. Start the communication process. And maybe, maybe you are, again, struggling and you're doing this every morning. I want to ask you the question. Are you just reading for knowledge or you want to know about the author? Are you praying to give your requests or are you listening? Because we, we serve a God that is two-way. Yes, we speak, but He also speaks to us. And Tanya Harris from God Conversations, and she helps um, people listen to God. Um, and she talks about two different types of knowledge available to us. And she says there's one that is cerebral, involving the intellect, and one that is experiential. And it's, it, which involves revelation and transformation. And she quotes a psychological research that shows how the two are easily separated. And Tanya says this, A group of moral ethicists were tested for their ability to put their reasoning into practice. These people were at the top of their field, yet their intellectual ability to espouse moral reasoning was not linked to their behaviours. For example, they were less likely to return their library books. What does this mean? As Christians, we can talk eloquently, we can have all the Bible knowledge, we can memorize verses, but if we are unkind to people, if we don't put into action, that knowledge is merely cerebral. It's worthless. It only puffs up, as, one, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8. We, may, we must never confuse knowledge of our faith with a life that is committed to actively following Jesus. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You know, if you struggle in this area, pray before you read. You know, before you listen or the start of the day, pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate what, is, what you are trying to say to me? You know, ask the Holy Spirit to, to help you and, and make sure it's not just a knowledge thing. You know, just, just, we want it to come to the heart. And then we want, so, and, and I guess this is a great example why there's so many wise Christians, you know, that have recently, you know, have come out and done ter terrible things. And we go, how? How can this person do these terrible things when they speak with so much wisdom? Because I'm saying it could be a cerebral knowledge that they have. They're not transformed. That's what I love about Peter, Jesus. He wanted to build this rock on the revelation that Peter had. That is what we as Christians need to have. Not the knowledge, 
but through transformation and the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the life we live. The last reason we practice spiritual disciplines is because Jesus did. And if we're going to walk like Jesus and talk like Jesus, I think it would be very wise to copy the things Jesus did. Jesus prayed. In fact, he prayed so much that the disciples were so impacted by his prayer life, they asked him, and it's, this is the only time that we see the disciples asking Jesus of anything. Didn't ask him to teach, teach us to teach or do this. They asked, teach us to pray. Show us how to pray, Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had an amazing prayer life. Jesus fasted. He spent 40 days in the desert. Jesus went to the synagogue. He participated in public worship, church. You know, some say, oh, I don't need church. Jesus, the Son of God, showed us how important community is. And it says, Luke 4, 16, on the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus read scripture. By the age of 12, he was biblically literate. He knew the word back. And yes, he was God, but he, he grew up knowing the scriptures. Jesus had time of solitude and silence. You know, we know that Jesus ministered in front of large crowds, but he also made a habit of getting away to have time, to, to be silent and still. Jesus served. He was hospitable. In Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So why am I sharing all these things? The more we grow closer, the more we spend time, the more we listen, the more we read the words, the more we become like Christ. I really want to emphasize that these, these things should be seen as instruments of grace. These things allow us to walk in the grace of God. These disciplines are a gift to know our Father more. You know, we should not leave the, today feeling more burdened. Kate's telling us to do this and this and this. We have a Father that wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to speak with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants us to have the Father's heart. And it's only through these things that we take time to surrender our time and be with Him. This is how we can keep connected in the vine. Because when we're connected in Christ and we have the heart of Christ, fruit will be produced. But it starts with Jesus. It starts with Him. And I can tell you now that that brings freedom. It truly does. When you're walking in Christ. The world... Is, is nothing when we're walking in Christ. But if we are distant from God, you are always going to feel struggles, hard things, pulls, trying to be friends with the world.
I just want to finish with this, and this is C.S. Lewis. And this is his answer to a question. What is your view of the daily discipline of the Christian life? And this is what he said. We have our New Testament regimental orders upon the subject. I would take it for granted that everyone who becomes a Christian would undertake this practice. It is enjoyed upon us by our Lord. And since they are His commands, I believe in following them. It is always just possible that Jesus Christ meant what He said when He told us to seek the secret place and to close the door. My heart is to see this church be full of spirit, walking in the Father's heart, having Christ. But it's not just going to happen by sitting and working and doing your things every day. It's going, to, it's going to happen by spending time with the Father. It's going to happen by listening to Him, being filled with the Spirit. And through that being connected in the vine, we can do the impossible things with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, let us thank you for this church. Father, I thank you for those that have given their life to Christ and you have promised salvation, that we follow you. But Father, there is more to be just connected in the vine. There is fruit. And I just pray, Father, as a church, we have this hunger of wanting to know you more, to be growing spiritually, to be growing closer with you, to be in communion with you, becoming one. I pray, Father, that as a church, we have this hunger. We have this hunger to wanting to know you more and more. I pray, Father, that we have this Father's heart, this love that you have for us. I pray that love will just shine through us because of our relationship with you. I thank you for your son. I thank you that you sent Jesus to come so that we could be one with you. We thank you, Father. Amen.